0: Part One, Chapter Five of the Life of Florence Nightingale, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Florence Nightingale, Volume One by Edward Tyas Cook, Chapter Five: A Winter in Rome and After, eighteen forty-seven to eighteen forty-nine. Six Months of Rome and Happiness, Florence Nightingale, 1848. It was an event of some importance in the Nightingale family when Florence set out with Mr. and Mrs. Bracebridge in the autumn of 1847 to spend the winter at Rome. The attraction to her was the society of Mrs. Bracebridge, the friend of whom she spoke as her ethereal. Moreover, the mental unrest from which Florence constantly suffered at home was beginning to tell upon her health all that i want to do in life she wrote to her cousin hilary in explaining the motive of the tour depends upon my health which i am told a winter in rome will establish for ever she took the foreign tour as a tonic to enable her the better to fulfil her vocation by her parents and her sister the tour was regarded as a tonic which might divert her from it they hoped that foreign travel would distract her thoughts and dispel what they perhaps considered morbid fancies she would enjoy pleasant companionship she would see famous and beautiful things she might return converted to the more comfortable belief that her duty lay in accepting life as she found it the point of view comes out clearly enough in a letter from her sister to miss bonham carter embley october eighteen forty seven it is a very great pleasure to think of her with such a companion one who she says lives always with the best part of her one who has all the sense and discretion and the warm-hearted sympathy and the quick enjoyment and the taste and the affection which will most give her happiness who will value her and take care of her and do her all the good mentally and bodily one can fancy yes dear god is very good to provide such a pleasant time and it will rest her mind i think entirely from wearing thoughts that all men have at home when their duties weigh much on their consciences while she will feel she is wasting nothing for mrs bracebridge has not been at all well and flo will feel herself a comfort and a help to her i hope for i know she is a great one though it is but for so short a time yet it seems to me a great event the solemn first launching her into life and my heart is very full of many feelings but yet the joy is greatest by an incalculable deal for one does not see how harm can come to her yet when one loves a great deal one cannot but be a little anxious it is so pretty to see papa wandering over the big map of rome remembering every corner and mamma over perinesi and both over all the fair things that dwell there as though they had just left them and florence herself did find comfort and pleasure in the tour but it was destined not to divert but to strengthen her purpose as also to lay a train of circumstances which was to lead her to the crimea florence and her companions reached paris on october twenty seventh took ship at marseilles for civita vecchia and stayed in rome in the via st bastinello number eight from the beginning of november till march twenty ninth eighteen forty eight florence entered heartily into all the pursuits and occupations of elegant tourists in rome she studied the ruins, explored the catacombs, copied inscriptions, visited the churches and galleries, spent a morning in Gibson's studio and another in Overbeck's, collected plants in the Colosseum, rode in the Campagna, and bought brooches, mosaics, and roman pearls. Her father had drawn out a programme of famous sights and pretty walks and drives, and the methodical Florence duly ticked them off on the list she read her own thoughts and aspirations into many of the works of art she greatly admired the apollo belvedere seeing in it the type of triumphant free will we can never lose the recollection of our poor selves while we still do things with difficulty while we are still uncertain whether we shall succeed or not the triumph of success may be great and delightful but the divine life eternal life is when to will is to do when the will is the same thing as the act and therefore the act is unconscious of the jupiter of the capital again she says jupiter is that perfect grace in power where the divine will pure from exertion speaks and it is done but what chiefly interested her what really impressed her mind and stimulated her imagination was the genius of michelangelo to her sister december seventeenth eighteen Oh, my dearest i have had such a day my red dominical my golden letter the fifteenth of december is its name and of all my days in rome this has been the most happy and glorious think of a day alone in the sistine chapel with sigma selina mrs bracebridge quite alone without custode without visitors looking up into that heaven of angels and prophets i did not think that i was looking at pictures but straight into heaven itself and that the faults of the representation and the blackening of the colours were the dimness of my own earthly vision which would only allow me to see obscurely indistinctly what was there in all its glory to be known even as i was known if mortal eyes and understandings were cleared from the mists which we have wilfully thrown around them there is daniel opening his windows and praying to the god of his fathers three times a day in defiance of fear you see that young and noble head like an eagle's disdaining danger those glorious eyes undazzled by all the honors of babylon then comes isaiah but he is so divine that there is nothing but his own fifty-third chapter will describe him he is the isaiah the grossa um, Baconta, of the comfort ye, comfort ye my people. I was rather startled at first by finding him so young, Which was not my idea of him at all, While the others are old, But M. Angelo knew him better, It is the perpetual youth of inspiration, The vigour and freshness ever new, ever living, Of that eternal spring of thought, Which is typed under that youthful face. Genius has no age, While mind, Zechariah, has no youth next to isaiah comes the delphic sibyl the most beautiful the most inspired of all the sibyls here but the distinction which m angelo has drawn even between her and the prophets is so interesting there is a security of inspiration about isaiah he is listening and he is speaking that which we hear we declare unto you there is an anxiety an effort to hear even about the delphian she is not quite sure there is an uncertainty a wistfulness in her eyes she expects to be rewarded rather in another stage than this for her struggle to gain the prize of her high calling to reach to the unknown that isaiah knows already there is no uncertainty as to her feeling of being called to hear the voice but she fears that her earthly ears are heavy and gross and corrupt the meaning of the heavenly words i cannot tell you how affecting this anxious look of her far-reaching eyes is to the poor mortal standing on the pavement below while the prophets ride secure on the storm of inspiration i feel these things to be part of the word of god of the ladder to heaven the word of god is all by which he reveals his thought all by which he makes a manifestation of himself to men it is not to be narrowed and confined to one book or one nation and no one can have seen the assistine without feeling that he has been very near to god that he will understand some of his words better for ever after and that michelangelo one of the greatest of the sons of men when one looks at the dome of st peter's on the one hand and the prophets and martyrs on the other has received as much of the breath of god and has done as much to communicate it to men as any seer of old he has performed that wonderful miracle of giving form to the breath of god wonderful whether it is done by words colours or hard stones the thoughts and emotions which have been suggested by the contemplation of the vault of the sistine chapel are countless none are more enthusiastic than those which it inspired in florence nightingale and few have been so discriminating it is at once the privilege and a mark of consummate works of art to be capable of as many meanings as they may find of competent spectators. Each man brings to the study of them the insight of which he is capable, and each perchance finds in them some image of himself or of his own experience. There are few moments, most probably, Florence Nightingale went on to say, which we shall carry with us through the gate of death, few recollections which will stand the eternal light she felt as she came out of the sistine chapel that her first sight of michael angelo's stupendous work would be one of those few for her we may surmise that the wistful uncertainty which she found in the face of the delphic Sibyl had especially appealed to her in its truth to life as she had experienced it conscious as she was of a call from god conscious also as she could not but have been of great powers and yet doubtful whether on this side of the gate of death it would be given to her to interpret the divine voice aright she retained to the end of her life the same reverential feeling for michael angelo she had photographs and engravings of the sistine ceiling hanging in her rooms and she sent some framed and inscribed photographs of the symbolical figures on the medici tombs to hang at Embley on the little private staircase where her father fell and died those at her home were bequeathed specifically in her will the afternoon of the day on which the revelation of the sistine chapel came to her was spent by florence and her friend in walking up Mario to enjoy the famous view from the villa melini not then as now included within a fort we spent an exquisite half-hour, she wrote, mooning, or rather sunning about, the whole campagna and city lying at our feet, the sea on one side like a golden laver below the declining sun, the windings of the Tiber and the hills of Lucretillus on the other, with Frascati, Tivoli, Tusculum on their cypress sides, for in that clear atmosphere you could see the very cypresses of Messina's villa at Tivoli with long stripes of violet and pomegranate colored light sweeping over the plain like waves one stone pine upon the edge of Armellini hill and Rome, the fallen babylon like a dead city beneath no sound of multitudes ascending but the only life these great crimson lights and shadows for here the shadow of a red light is violet like the carnation colored wings of angels themselves invisible flapping over the plain and leaving this place behind them we rushed down as fast as we could for the sun was setting and we reached st peter's just as the doors were going to close we had the great church all to ourselves the tomb of st peter wreathed with lights it felt like the times when a christian knight watched by his arms before some great enterprise at the holy sepulchre and one shadowy white angel we could see through the windows over the great door and do you know he quite made us startle as he stood there in the gloaming of course it was the marble statue on the facade, and there were workmen still laughing and talking at the extreme end and their sounds as they were repeated under the long vaults were like the gibbering of devils and their lanthorns as they wavered along close to the ground were like corpse lights i thought of st anthony and holy knights and their temptations and at last the sacristan took us out of that vast solemn dome through a tomb and we glided into the silvery moonlight and walked home over ponte Sant'Angelo, where i made a little invocation to st michael to help me to thank for why the protestants should shut themselves out in solitary pride from the communion of saints in heaven and in earth i never could understand and so ended this glorious day the obsession of rome which sooner or later comes upon every intelligent visitor to the eternal city dated in the case of florence nightingale from this golden-letter day she surmounted the sense of confusion which sometimes oppresses the traveller i do not feel she wrote though pagan in the morning jew in the afternoon and christian in the evening anything but a unity of interest in all these representations to know god we must study him as much in the pagan and jewish dispensations as in the christian though that is the last and most perfect manifestation and this gives unity to the whole one continuous thread of interest to all these pearls section two the politics of modern italy interested her no less than the ruins of ancient rome or the monuments of mediaeval art she had met many italian refugees both at geneva and in the salon of madame mole in paris and was a whole-hearted enthusiast in the cause of italian freedom her present visit to rome synchronized with that curious and short-lived episode in the struggle during which pio nono was playing the ineffectual tragedy of liberal catholicism all rome seemed seized with sympathy for the cities beyond the papal states which were fighting for liberty and within the states themselves pio nono's offerings of mild benevolence suffice to call forth floods of ecstatic demonstrative italian humanity torchlight processions and crowds kneeling at his feet miss nightingale saw the roman nobles prince corsini prince Gaetano, and others presiding at patriotic altars which had been set up in the public squares for the receipt of gifts in money and in jewellery she heard the famous father gavazzi preach the crusade in the Colosseum. she cheered as the tricolor of italy was hoisted on the capitol i certainly was born she wrote to her cousin hilary to be a tag-rag and bob-tail for when i hear of a popular demonstration i am nothing better than a ragamuffin she heard the rumble of a distant drum and rushed up for mr bracebridge and he and she broke their own windows because they were not illuminated stayed to see the torchlight procession of patriots singing the hymn to pianono and were rewarded by the crowd crying god save the queen as they passed the english milord and his companion very touching she said though royalty was the very last thing i was thinking of for at this time as she often avowed in her letters her sympathies were republican when this memorable year began with all its revolutions she wrote later to madame mole after disillusion had come i thought that it was the kingdom of heaven coming under the fate of a republic but alas things have shown that more of us must slowly ripen to angels here before the regime of the angels that is the kingdom of heaven will begin for the moment everything seemed radiant she recorded with pleasure in february that a deputation of romans had gone up to the pope to express their complete confidence in him in her note-books she collected particulars of his life and character and when in march he granted what can only be called a sort of a constitution she wrote to madame mole my dear santo padre seems doing very well he has given up his temporal power no man took it from him he laid it down of himself I think that he will reign in history as the only prince who ever did and that his character is nearer christ's than any i ever heard of history will hardly confirm this saying but if miss nightingale's words seem ill-balanced in the light of subsequent events let it be remembered that as mr trevelyan says the cult of pianono was for some months the religion of italy and of liberals and exiles all over the world even garibaldi in montevideo and mazzini in london shared the enthusiasm of the hour a year later when the roman republic had been declared and the pope had fled and the french troops besieged rome on his behalf miss nightingale had only pity for pianono her anger she reserved for the french cannibals for the one republic that was devouring another i must exhale my rage and indignation she wrote in a diary june thirtieth eighteen forty nine before i have lost all notions of absolute right and wrong it makes my heart bleed that the french nation the nation above all others capable of an ideal of aspiring after the abstract right should have lent itself to such a brutal crime against its own brother one may say its own offspring for the roman republic sprang from the french it is purest cannibalism this breaks my heart when i think of that afternoon at villa Melini, now occupied by a french general of rome bathed in her crimson and purple shadows lying at our feet and st michael spreading his wings over all the angel of regeneration as we thought him then my eyes fill with tears but he will be the angel of regeneration yet the french she said might reduce the city and occupy it but the heroic defence of the republic will have raised the romans in the moral scale and in their own esteem they would never sink back to what they had been. Sooner or later, Rome would be free. She was especially indignant at the talk which she heard on all sides in cultivated society at home about the vandalism of the Romans in exposing their precious monuments of art to assault. She loved those monuments, as we have seen, but if the defense of Rome against the French required it, she would have been ready to see them all leveled to the ground they must carry out their defence to the last she cried i should like to see them fight the streets inch by inch till the last man dies at his barricade till st peter's is level with the ground till the vatican is blown into the air then would this be the last of such brutal not house breakings but city breakings then and not till then would europe do justice to france as a thief and a murderer and a similar crime be rendered impossible for all ages if i were in rome i should be the first to fire the sistine turning my head aside and Michelangelo would cry well done as he saw his work destroyed it was not only in relation to the restraints of conventional domesticity that florence nightingale was a rebel section three during her own stay in rome however there was something which interested her more than roman politics or roman monuments it was the philanthropic work of a convent school every visitor to rome knows the trinita de monti the flight of steps between the church and the piazza di spagna is celebrated alike for its own beauty and for the flower-girls and women in peasant costume who frequent it the church itself contains many fine works of art and the choral service is one of the attractions of ecclesiastical rome the neighbourhood is rich in artistic and literary associations florence nightingale had sympathetic eyes and ears for all these things but what attracted her most was the convent attached to the church with its school for girls and in another part of the city its orphanage she was broad-minded as we have seen in an earlier chapter in relation to church creeds it was by works not faith or at any rate by faith issuing in works that she weighed the churches it was characteristic of the thoroughness of her mental character that during this sojourn in rome she made a methodical study of roman doctrine and ritual among her papers and note-books belonging to this time there are careful analyses of the theory of indulgence of the real presence of the rosary and so forth she made too a careful collation of the latin breviary with the english prayer-book she summed up her comparative study of the churches in this generalization the great merit of the catholic church its assertion of the truth that god still inspires mankind as much as ever its great fault its limiting this inspiration to itself the great merit of protestantism its proclamation of freedom of conscience within the limits of the scriptures its great fault its erection of the bible into a master of the soul her deep sense of the self-responsibility of every human soul kept her free from any inclination to roman doctrine but she was profoundly impressed by the practical beneficence of roman sisterhoods an example of such beneficence she found in the school and orphanage of the dame du Sacre-Cœur. she had picked up a poor girl called phila Sensi and procured her admission as a free boarder paying for her care and education for many years she formed a warm attachment to the lady superior, the Madre St. Columba. She studied the organization, rules, and methods of the large school, and for ten days she went into retreat in the convent. Her intercourse with the Madre St. Columba, of whose talk and spiritual experiences she made full and detailed notes, made a very deep impression on her mind. She studied rules and organization, but as in all her studies she was seeking a motive, as well as, and indeed more than, a method. Many years later a friend wrote to her, It seems to me that the greatest want among nurses is devotion. I use the word in a very wide sense, meaning that state of mind in which the current of desire is flowing towards one high end. This does not presuppose knowledge, but it very soon attains it this was a profound conviction of her own often expressed as we shall hear in her addresses and letters of exhortation in later years what she set herself to study at the trinita de monti was the secret of devotion she made notes of the lady superiors exhortations of the spiritual exercises which were enjoined upon novices of the forms and discipline of self-examination she sought to extract the secret and to apply it to the inculcation of the highest kind of service to man as the service of god for many years the thought in her mind was to be the foundation of some distinctive order or sisterhood and though in the end she came to be glad that she had not done this she never abandoned the high ideal which was behind her thought nor though in some ways and in some cases she came to be disillusioned about nursing sisterhoods did she ever cease to speak with admiration of what she had seen and learnt in some of them she thought more often and with more affectionate remembrance about the spirit of the best catholic sisterhoods than of Kaiserworth or indeed of anything else in her professional experience in such studies upon the trinita de monti in the winter of eighteen forty seven to forty eight she was taken as she said in a note of self-examination out of all interests that fostered her vanity it was her happiest new year, the most entire and unbroken freedom from dreaming I ever had, she wrote at a later time. Oh, how happy I was! And so again, looking back after twenty years, she wrote, I never enjoyed any time in my life so much as my time at Rome. Section 4 Another incident of Miss Nightingale's sojourn in Rome was destined, though she knew it not at the time, to have a far-reaching influence upon her career. Among the English visitors who spent the winter of 1847-48 to in Rome were Mr. and Mrs. Sidney Herbert. Mr. Herbert had already been secretary at war under Peel, a post to which he was afterwards to return under Aberdeen the resignation of peel's cabinet in eighteen forty six released mr herbert from official work later in the year he married a lady with whom he had been long acquainted elizabeth A'Court, daughter of general charles ash Accourt, and in the following year he and his wife set out for a long continental tour mr and mrs bracebridge were friends of the herberts and thus florence nightingale made their acquaintance in rome in her retrospect she specially recalled the beginning there of her friendship with sydney herbert under the dear bracebridge's wing compatriots who meet in this way in any foreign resort are apt to see a good deal of each other and from this winter dates the beginning of a friendship which was to be a governing factor in the life of florence nightingale sydney herbert when they met in galleries or at soirees or rode together in the campagna must have been struck by miss nightingale's marked abilities and for mrs herbert she formed an affectionate attachment she noted the great kindness the desire of love the magnanimous generosity of her new friend mr and mrs herbert saw much of archdeacon manning the future cardinal who was also spending the winter in rome and miss nightingale was on friendly terms with him this also was an acquaintance which had some influence on her future career sidney herbert aided by the ready sympathy of his wife was devoting much thought now liberated from official duties to schemes of benevolence among the poor on his estates he felt strongly the disadvantage at which the poor were placed in being compelled after illness and perhaps after undergoing painful operations to return in the earliest stage of convalescence without rest or change to their accustomed labor he was full of a scheme for a convalescent home and cottage hospital such as is now no rarity but was then almost unknown and it can be imagined with what zest miss nightingale shared his thoughts one of the first things which she records in her diary after return from the continent is an expedition with mrs sydney herbert to set up her convalescent home at charmouth but this was only a passing incident and return to the habitual home life after the distraction of foreign travel left her no more contented than before on her return to london in the early summer of eighteen forty eight she sent her friends occasionally the talk of the town to madame Mole, july twenty sixth eighteen forty eight in london there have been the usual amount of charity balls charity concerts charity bazaars whereby people bamboozle their consciences and shut their eyes nevertheless there does not seem the slightest prospect of a revolution here why it would be hard to say as england is surely the country where luxury has reached its height and poverty its depth perhaps it is our poor law perhaps the strength of our middle class perhaps a greater degree of sympathy between the rich and poor which is the conservative principle lord ashley had a chartist deputation with him the other day who stayed to tea and talked with him for five hours that a man should ride in a carriage and have twenty thousand a year is contrary to the laws of nature said their leader and slapped his leg i could show you if you would go with me to-night said lord ashley people who would say to you that a man should go in broadcloth and wear a shirt-pin pointing to the chartist's shirt is contrary to the laws of nature the chartist was silent and it was the only thing i said says lord ashley after arguing with them for five hours which made the least impression her acquaintance with lord ashley afterwards lord shaftesbury brought her in touch with ragged school work but societies grew more and more distasteful to miss nightingale she explained the reasons in a letter to her aunt hannah why could she not smile and be gay while yet biding her time and not forsaking her ultimate ideals it was she said because she hated god to hear her laugh as if she had not repented of her sin there is something obviously morbid in such words, and they might be multiplied indefinitely, if there were good reason for doing so, from her letters, diaries, and notebooks. The sins of which she most often convicted herself were hypocrisy and vanity. She prayed to be delivered from the desire of producing an effect. That was the vanity, and it was hypocrisy because she was playing a part, responding to friends' conception of her though all the while her heart was really set on other things and her true life was being lived elsewhere the morbidness was a symptom of a mind at war with its surroundings then again the kind aunt reminded her in the spirit of george herbert that anything and everything may be done to the glory of god but miss nightingale at this time was deep in the study of political economy and can it be to the glory of god she asked when there is so much misery among the poor which we might be curing instead of living in luxury. Section 5 In the autumn of 1848 an opportunity occurred which promised the realization of the dearest wish of her heart. But once more she was doomed to disappointment. Her mother and sister had been advised to go to Carlsbad for the cure. Monsieur and Madame Mole were to be at Frankfurt, and they were all to meet in that city. Frankfurt is near to Kaiserswerth, and Florence was to be allowed to go there. But at the very moment disturbances broke out in Frankfurt, and the whole plan was abandoned. I'm not going to consign to paper for your benefit, she wrote to Madame Mole, October 1848, all the cursings and swearings which relieved my disappointed feelings, for, oh, what a plan of plans I had made out for myself. All that I most wanted to do at Kaiserswerth, brussels and company lay for the first time within reach of my mouth and the ripe plum has dropped florence accompanied her mother to the curate at malvern instead where with many prayers for humility under the will of god she lived for several weeks upon the dry and bitter fruit of disappointment during the winter of eighteen forty eight forty nine miss nightingale saw something of monsieur guizot and his family the minister had escaped to london after the fall of louis philippe and was living in a modest house in brompton he found in miss nightingale a brave and sympathetic soul for whom great thoughts and great devotions had a serious attraction during the next year she found some congenial work in london she inspected hospitals she worked in ragged schools she spoke of her little thieves at westminster as her greatest joy in london but these unconventional attractions of the london season set her all the more against the life of country houses ought not one's externals she wrote in her diary july the second eighteen forty nine to be as nearly as possible an incarnation of what life really is life is not a green pasture and a still water as our homes make it life is to some a forty days fasting moral or physical in the wilderness to some it is a fainting under the carrying of the crop to some it is a crucifixion to all a struggle for truth for safety life is seen in a much truer form in london than in the country in an english country place everything that is painful is so carefully removed out of sight behind those fine trees to a village three miles off in london at all events if you open your eyes you cannot help seeing in the next street that life is not as it has been made to you you cannot get out of a carriage at a party without seeing what is in the faces making the lane on either side and without feeling tempted to rush back and say those are my brothers and sisters she longed to rush back to be able to go out freely into the slums to comfort some old woman who was dying unattended or rescue some child who was going astray untaught but the proprieties prevented it would never do she was told for a young woman at her station in life to go out in london without a servant in the autumn of eighteen forty nine the distraction of another foreign tour was offered her parents and her sister hoped once more that florence would return a different and a more comfortable woman those with whom we are cast into the nearest intimacy sometimes understand us least End of a winter in rome and after eighteen forty seven to eighteen forty nine